Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Liz Tran, an executive coach to the CEOs and founders of tech companies. Altogether, her clients have raised over $400 million in funding and created $4 billion in enterprise value. She's also the author of The Karma of Success and host of the podcast Reset with Liz. In addition to her experience in venture capital and tech, she is also a trained meditation teacher and Reiki master and studied yoga at the Samyak Ashram. In this episode, Liz shares her personal journey to spirituality and its role in her success as an executive coach. We discuss the many ways Liz worked with clients to live their best life, like her process for manifestation, which includes visualization, self-gratitude, and regular gratitude lists to reprogram the brain and attract positive outcomes, and practicing confidence to improve performance. Lastly, we talk about the importance of utilizing downtime for clarity and creativity, strategies to help overcome fear and doubt, and the importance of maintaining a high energy level for optimal performance and well-being. There were so many great tips in this episode. Keep listening to learn more. Liz, welcome to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to meet you, and I can't wait for our conversation today. Thank you for having me. So would love to start off with your personal journey and really what inspired you to become an executive coach. I know that wasn't always what your path was, what led you there and how are you enjoying it? You know, I, so I'm 38 right now and I didn't even know that executive coaching was a thing. I didn't know it was a job until I was probably 31. And as soon as I heard it, I thought, oh, I think I think that's what I want to do with my life. But it's funny, you know, when you're deciding what you want when you're younger, what, you know, suite of possibilities are open to you. I had a really limited viewpoint, I think. And my mom was an immigrant from Vietnam. And it was always this idea that being a lawyer or a doctor would be something that was really prestigious. So I thought that my whole life, because I only had this very narrow sliver of what I thought I could do. And I actually tried to go to law school and did not succeed. So I was a little heartbroken about that. And on a whim, moved to New York when I was 23, wound up falling into the tech world. And the sort of through line there was I was always really interested in what people were motivated by, what they cared about, what made them passionate about their work. And that expressed itself in being a recruiter for some time. And I thought I was really good at that. I was helping people connect to the right jobs and you know, getting the right people to join the organizations I worked for. And then I became a consultant working largely in talent and HR. And then from there, that took me to working in venture capital, where I became a talent-focused executive at one of the world's top venture capital firms. And while all those jobs were at different levels, and they were doing different things. Some were very tactical. Some were much more, you know, cerebral. They all had this one through line of, I really cared about what made people passionate and what could help them live up to their greatest potential. And so, as soon as I thought about coaching, started researching it, studying to be a coach, I thought this is exactly it. Like every one of my clients is so different, and it is such a joy in life to be able to 
understand them on such a deep level, and then to come up with a really bespoke program and a way of supporting them that is unique to them. And so this book that I wrote, The Karma of Success, I thought, okay, coaching is really inaccessible for most people. I didn't even know it existed. Could I write a book that could actually help people dig inwards and say, okay, I know everyone, you know, there are a lot of people reading this book, but could this book be tailored to every reader in some way that encourages them to look inward and say, you know, what are my gifts? What are my passions? What are my motivations? All the same questions I asked to my clients. I wish someone had asked me 15 years ago is what I was hoping to do with this book. It's so exciting. Congratulations again on the book. It is such a great toolkit, I think, of really unpacking, as you said, like having those moments of reflection, asking those questions and helping people to really live their best life and trying to go for something in life that they want because we only have one of them. And it's so easy, I think, to be on auto mode and not stopping to really ask those questions. And I think that's what a great coach does and what this book can also help people to do. So before we kind of unpack the book, we'd love to hear a little bit more about how you work with clients. And for people who don't know, like what's an executive coach? You didn't know what that was. A lot of people probably don't know what that is. Can you go into more detail? What is an executive coach and what does that look like and how you work with some of your clients? Yeah, definitely. So I work with a very specific niche of clients. I work with CEOs and founders of venture capital backed companies. And these are companies that you are usually growing pretty quickly. And I see my clients either once a week or once every other week for one hour. And I coach them for as long as they want to be coached. And for some of my clients, that means I've been working with them for three or more years, but most of them it's been on the the magnitude of years. And what we do is we work on three aspects. And the first one is just helping them be effective day-to-day. That can be as tactical as looking at their calendar and taking things off of their calendar that, you know, saying, are you sure you should be in this meeting? Does this really make sense? Why don't we move your one-on-ones around, looking at their sleep patterns, how they are moving their bodies, whether or not they're focused and prioritizing the right things. So I think of that as just the bucket of, are you the most effective version of yourself every day? And I think we all know the difference between when we're feeling really good, we're taking care of ourselves versus we're just slogging through the work. The second piece is acute issues that pop up. So a lot of it is I have to have a tough conversation with an employee or I'm coming up to a board meeting that might be really challenging, or you know I'm experiencing some type of disappointment. And so these are issues that are real time um, that just happened that week that we talk about and we try to unpack and work through a solution. And then the final piece of it is zooming out and looking at the big picture. I think when we're really busy, there's always a to-do list. And as soon as it's done, there's the next to-do list and so on and so on. We don't stop to reflect and think about what went well, what we could do better. And so I'm this person who can say, you know, every quarter at the end of the year, let's do this reflection exercise. Let's see what the learnings are. Let's slow down a little bit and take everything that you are learning and see how you're changing and growing. And I call that sort of the ontological side of the house. So the three pieces are just day-to-day personal effectiveness, acute issues that pop up, and finally the long-term long arc growth of a person. 
And um, how I work is generally like we, I, I'm an employee or not employee, but the client is the CEO, that person, but I have a relationship with the company that they work for. So my job is to really make sure they're effective in getting the metrics and the company goals done. And other career coaches do it a little bit differently. Some people work on like a six, six month program with their clients. Other people might say, you know, I focus on career tra- tra- transitions. I have a good friend who does that where she helps executives think about the next thing that they want to do. So she'll, you know, sign like a three or six month contract to help them figure that out. Um, Some people focus on specific niches like engineers or sales. And I work with executives of all types, but generally they're in a position where the company is probably growing faster than they are comfortable with. And so I'm there to kind of push them and accelerate that personal journey. I love that. I think it's so important, you know, having a coach just to hold us for anybody to hold us accountable and really for that personal and professional growth. So we actually, we've done it the last two years. We've had a, an executive coach within purely Elizabeth that actually everybody in the company amazing utilizes. So not everyone has one-on-ones, but we've kind of divided it where there's group sessions and and then kind of ad hoc one-on-ones. But to me, it's just been so important to have that personal growth and accountability and and somebody to turn to that, you know, a lot of these conversations, you wouldn't take the time to turn to somebody in your close circle or, or be able to have that conversation. So obviously having someone with the experience to guide you. And I think what I really resonated a lot in your work is the blend of spirituality into it, which I think I would love for you to kind of dive into that and and what your background was. How did you start to blend spirituality into this work? Because there's certainly, I think some coaches out there who could be taking a more traditional look at it. And I think your approach is really resonating with a lot of people today. Yeah, absolutely. I originally came to spirituality because I personally was having a little bit of a life crisis. I was, I got married in my twenties and by the time I was 30, we were getting divorced and we had just grown in different directions as people. I had quit this job that I thought I wanted, but didn't actually love um, and had spent a year traveling. I saved up some money and traveled. And during that time, I wound up staying at an ashram in India and going to different monasteries across Burma, Japan, Thailand, So cool. reading a lot about meditation. Uh, when I got back to New York, I started going to a weekly meditation group in the city. And I remember I was there on a Friday night and the teacher was like, listen, no one comes here unless they're having some issues in life. So <laughs> let's just all acknowledge that it's true. You know, if things are going well, you're not there on a Friday night, you know, watching Buddhist movies with 30 strangers, <laughs> but it was really this solve for all of these questions that I had, like why had my life taken this, you know, unexpected detour? How did I deal with this disappointment, the sense of failure? And it was interesting because I was using spirituality to grapple with a lot of the questions in my personal life. And it was very soothing to learn about Buddhism and detachment and this idea that, you know, life is 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. And there are so many principles and practices that helped me find peace and all this turmoil. And while that was happening, my career was also really taking off because of those spiritual practices. 
I was showing up in a way where I was very clear-headed, very calm, able to take on a lot. And it was literally during this exact time that I got this dream job step forward where I got hired by this venture capital firm and they took a little bit of a risk on me. I didn't have the best pedigree or the best background. And I worked with all these people who went to Harvard Business School and you know graduated top of their class. And I wound up really excelling there. And within a year or two, I was promoted to be the only female executive. I was doing really well, um, had a big team that I was managing. And I attributed so much of that to these behind the scenes, spiritual practices of me being able to be grounded, clear, and confident in myself. You know, I could show up every day and not have this anxiety that was holding me back. And when I became an executive coach, I realized that it's the same for the people I work with where, yeah, it's work, right? Like we have work-life balance, but also I think you could probably resonate with this. When you've started your own business, that line becomes a little foggier because you've put so much of who you are into your work. And so when work is going well, you feel good about yourself as a person, but when it's not, you could feel really bad about yourself as a person. And so I started teaching my clients some of these tools to help them actually, you know, I don't want to say care less, but let's put it that way, like detach a little bit, detachment in Buddhism to be able to see their work more clearly, to not, you know, feel totally pulled into the ups and downs, you know, dragged around like ups and downs, ups and downs, and to experience those inevitable ups and downs of starting a business, but to not feel them so emotionally. And so with my clients, I meet them where they are. So some people um, may not be open to the language of spirituality, but I will share Zen parables, stories from Buddhism. I will have them, you know, practice breathing exercises, or I might even just ask them questions down a line of thinking that gets them thinking in a more expansive way. And then others are really interested in it. They might say, Liz, teach me how to meditate. You know, I was teaching meditation while I was also working at this venture capital firm. You know, some might even say, what's going on astrologically right now? Can you fill me in on it? And so I don't force it on anyone, but I am there and very receptive if they have questions that cannot be answered by what's seen in a coaching methodology book or in some sort of business school case study. And, you know, honestly, that's a lot of what we deal with is sometimes there are black and white answers and most of the time there are not, (laughs) you know, we really like, there's no way to really find the right answer besides looking inward and then tuning into our intuition because, you know, no one's actually figured out that problem before. Yeah. So you talk about tuning in and tuning into your intuition. In the book, you certainly start off with that inquiring inward and that work that you do. So if you could talk a little bit about what that looks like, how do we kind of set this foundation for freeing our inner genius and feeling like our absolute best in our life? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is that It's not easy, you know, in this world that we live in, it's very noisy. So our phones are always going off. We have a million emails to respond to. And the work is very simple. And it's just about getting more of what I call the three S's, which are silence, stillness, and solitude. And this does not mean that you need to become a monk and just meditate on a mountaintop by yourself. But having these short moments throughout the day where your inner genius and your intuition can come through and you can hear it. I think we've all had this experience 
maybe, you know, you're out walking. I, I, this happens to me all the time when I'm walking with my dog, walking with my dog and suddenly I have an idea for a chapter coming to my mind, or I'm out hiking somewhere in nature and I suddenly get a ping to call a friend. And when I call her, she says, oh my gosh, I was just thinking about you. I was about to call you. Or I've been wrestling with a business problem that a client is going through. I don't have the answer, but I'm in the shower and suddenly the idea pops into my head. And it's these little aha or eureka moments that can only come in when it's not too busy. It's a little quiet and we can hear them. And the work is all about creating those spaces for that magic, those insights and that revelation to come in and pick your activity. You know, everyone's different. It could be like over breakfast. I love having just tea and a quiet breakfast where I don't have my phone. My husband's not there. No one's bothering me. And I can just like literally look at my breakfast and eat and just like allow whatever thoughts want to come through to come through. Some people do it through more formal meditation. Some people do it through movement, like yoga practice or exercise, but whatever those moments are getting to know when that space between your intuition and your consciousness feels really thin. Um, My favorite anecdote is Albert Einstein used to do this where he would sit in a rocking chair whenever he had a problem that he scientifically didn't know how to solve. And he would allow himself to drift off to sleep. He'd say, I'm going to sit down and take a nap. And he would hold these balls in his hands. And right when he was about to fall asleep, his hands would go limp. The balls would drop to the ground, wake him up with a noise, and he would spring up and write down whatever it was that he was thinking. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Which is so cool. And he also went on long walks. He slept for nine hours a night. He played musical instruments in the middle of the day. And he did all of those things in service of knowing that was how he could open up the aperture of his imagination, creativity, and problem solving. So I always encourage everyone, um, my clients, to find those activities and to identify the areas in life where they most strongly hear that intuitive voice come through because we all have it. And I'm willing to bet that you know anyone who's listening to this can think about a time when they had that insight or they knew something right away and it happened during downtime. A hundred percent. And I think it's so easy for us. We were talking about earlier about walking our dogs this morning and it's so easy to be multitasking. So like most days I'm walking my dogs and I'm listening to a podcast at the same time, or I'm using that time and making a phone call. And after reading your book, I've really been trying to be more conscious about having those moments. So instead of always having to like layer on activity on top of activity, go on the walk, without your AirPods, without something else to do and have those moments of silence. That's so beautiful. Yeah. There's, there's, for whatever reason, I think walking like the, the exercise of walking, it really does open up those channels. And I think it must be because the conscious brain is distracted with doing something like making sure we put one foot in front of the other and don't fall into a hole. <laughs> and then it'll like, that's kind of just on autopilot. And so then the, the subconscious brain can take priority. Yeah. So a big piece of your work is really around creating a life that you want and and feeling your best in it. And, and that comes to manifesting. So would love to talk about some of your favorite tools to manifest. I'm a firm believer in manifesting so much of purely Elizabeth has been born through different 
phases of manifestation. So I've seen it unfold in front of me. Would love for you to talk about some of your favorite tools. I love manifestation as well. I think it's so cool. And this is just a little funny story. My um, friend uh, is a, she is a founder as well named Pierre Gilardi. She started this company called Refinery29. And now she runs a company called Wild Things World. And she threw this workshop um, that was about making a vision board for the new year. And I invited one of my clients to come and my client was kind of just like cutting things out and putting them on the, on the page. And then she just texted me like nine months later. So it was around this time. And she sent me a picture of her vision board that she had made in January. And then she sent me a picture of a cat that she wound up just sort of spontaneously adopting who has changed her life and been miraculous and the picture of the cat and this surprise cat that came into her life were exactly the same. Oh my God. Wow. And she hadn't even planned it. She just found the vision board when she was cleaning up her apartment to That's move. That's wild. And so we are so skilled at it. And, you know, the explanation that I like to come to is, you know, I one, this is maybe the because I'm always dealing with like my business side and then my spiritual side. My business side says that the explanation is that. Um, when we believe that something is possible, then we take all the steps to go after it. And the example I think about is how professional athletes do this. You know, Michael Phelps, before he swims any race, he visualizes winning it like a hundred times in his mind. And so when he shows up, he already feels like he's won it. <laughs> he can show up with calm and excitement and confidence. And so we're kind of doing the same thing when we try to manifest. We're familiarizing ourselves with this prospect so that when it comes to us, we don't push it away. We don't self-sabotage. You know, we actually say, I'm worth this. I deserve this. And then the spiritual part of me says, yeah, like the universe is always answering our wishes, but we don't ask for them. You know, sometimes like I ask my clients, what it is that their goal is or what they want. And they're sort of like, oh, well, I think one day maybe I'd like to make, you know, I'd like to sell this company and like, maybe I'd like to make some money. I'm like, how much, when, to who? And so I think it's about just like placing our order with the universe so that we put that power behind the intention of our voice, how we do that, however you want to do that, whether it's writing or saying it aloud. So my process for manifestation is first to set your vision and repeat it over and over again. And for some people that means looking at a vision board, I'm a little bit more verbal and written word. So I write my vision down on a piece of paper and I reread it all the time. Um, and I think about this vision. I imagine myself doing it. I share it with friends. Is it usually like one vision that you're writing down? Is it multiple visions? Yeah. It's usually where I want to be in life at a specific period of time. And it can be anywhere from like a year from now to five years. Um, and one example that I had from a while ago was I was at a meditation retreat that it was very beautiful and inspiring. And I wrote down that I wanted to have a place like that of my own one day that, you know, was in the country, had a, a labyrinth, you know, walking labyrinth, had gardens, had multiple small buildings where people could stay and I could host them on retreat, had a secret passageway and a library. And I wrote this at a time when I was actually unemployed and I was just recently divorced. I had no stability to be able to accomplish this dream. And then seven years later, I had moved into this house where I live now. And I looked through this old journal and it had that list of everything it wanted. And I looked around and I was like, I have a secret passageway. 
I have a library. And so it just totally happened by accident. And then I looked at the name that I had written seven years earlier of the place. I said, I'm going to call this place the Uplands. And I wound up in that time period meeting the person who would become my husband. And it turns out that he grew up in a small neighborhood in Canada called the Uplands. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And it was this power of intention. I'd even forgotten about it. And then, you know, other times I'll work with a vision that, um, that I'm actively working with all the time because I have some sort of block around it. Um, I I write about this a little bit in the book, but I tried to get pregnant for three years and did all sorts of fertility treatments and, um, it didn't work and no one could figure out why. And I think I had a lot of baggage around trying to get pregnant for various reasons of just the way I was brought up in my life. And I wrote a vision that was this, that basically described like walking around my orchard barefoot, being pregnant and like allowing this pregnancy to um, really remind me of like my health and my well being during like a very busy time of my book launch. And so I wrote this vision back in December, November of last year. And then I kept reading it to myself over and over again. And then it turns out in April, I found out I was pregnant and I was walking like around my orchard barefoot. And I was like working on my book launch, which was happening in July. And I remember thinking, wow, this is so nice that I have this baby inside of me to keep me on my healthy habits instead of having too many glasses of wine, right? (laughs) Or like staying up too late at night. And so there are things where, you know, in the first instance, I think I really put it out to the universe. And then the second instance, I think it helped me intentionally break through a block I had of being able to see myself as a mother. That's so beautiful. That's incredible. Thanks. So when you think about working through this process using visualization, what are some of the other tools of writing down the vision that you suggest for people to do in order to manifest what they're wishing? Definitely. So the the vision part, I think, is about being clear about what you want. And then the second piece is about believing that you're good enough to deserve it. And that's actually, I think, kind of the harder part. I think that was the hard part for me with being a mother is like, I didn't know if I deserved it. You know, it felt like maybe I want to be a good mom. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that came in. And so part of it is about rebuilding our confidence to believe that we can. And so this is a very simple tool and it is about writing down three things that you did well that every day, I call it your self-gratitude list. And the reason why that's so impactful is that we actually have a negativity bias. All humans do where the bad things that we do, like where we mess up or we have disappointment, the brain creates that as a memory immediately. It literally automatically inputs everything that we've done wrong and saves it. But when it comes to the things that we do well, it actually takes, I mean, the number varies, but some people say seven seconds, some people say 20 seconds, but regardless, it's a very long time where you have to purposely focus on something you did well for it to imprint as a memory. So they say the brain is like Velcro for remembering your shortcomings and Teflon for remembering your assets and your strengths. And so this self-gratitude list is a way of reprogramming the brain where you notice the things that you do well, three things every day. And they can be as simple as like you were kind to someone or you solved a problem or you even you just got through all your emails. You woke up on time and then you start to teach yourself that, yeah, 
you are a worthwhile person. And yes, like you can do this thing that you really want and you deserve it. And to me, the exercise is so simple, but it's really powerful because when my clients start doing it, they actually have a hard time coming up with three things they did well that day. And these are people who are highly accomplished, highly accomplished. And we all have three things that we did. Well, like I, you know, I woke up this morning, I made myself a good breakfast and I did the dishes. It's like, that is good enough for me. And, you know, we start to become more, not only gentler with ourselves, but our own biggest cheerleaders. And then you create these synapses in the brain that actually start to look out for things that we do well, because you're training the brain after a number of days to know that you have to do this at the end of the day, you have to write those three things. And so you start to spot them. And then the final third piece. So first is vision. Second is self-gratitude. And then the third is straight up regular gratitude. Three things that you have in your life. And the reason why this is so important is because when we're trying to manifest, then it's this energy of, I want, I want, I want, and it's great. You know, you want to go towards what you have, but we also have to balance that with this energy of, I have already, I have, you know, it's like, I want this, but like recognizing that we already have enough is so important. And I call this balancing your pleases and thank you. So you say the universe, please, I want to manifest this goal, but you also want to tell the universe, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've already given me. And my favorite anecdote is that Oprah kept a gratitude list for 10 straight years, every single day without fail. And this was during the time when her career was just skyrocketing. And so even when she was getting what she wanted, she didn't stop. She kept going. And so it kept this positive flywheel going where the more good things happened to her, the more she'd feel grateful for them. And that gratitude would open the door for even more goodness to come into her life. And so I think it's keeping ourselves in the mindset that the universe is generous. It's here to support us is super helpful because, you know, the law of attraction basically says whatever we believe is what we receive. And so that gratitude list is keeping ourselves in that very receptive state. You know, it's interesting that you talk about the confidence piece, because I feel like the times in my life where, and particularly I think about the business where I've really been able to like manifest the biggest pieces of the business have been times that I really connect with feeling the most confident in my life. So it's really interesting how that really plays a part in going after what we want. One of the things I want to think about is in order to manifest, you're having to sit down and really have a vision for something grand, something, an unpredictable future that feels like, you know, it's not easy to attain, but it's really hard for people in our day-to-day life, I think, to take that time. Like all of a sudden we're so busy that we never sat down to be able to figure out the thing that we wanted to, to accomplish. How do you help people to take that time and really put together that greater, grander vision for their future. Yeah. I think it starts with just even the smallest moments. So whenever I have a client who's doing anything, like about to have a conversation with one of their employees or to you know go ask an investor for help on something, or even like have a conversation with their partner that feels a little challenging. I always ask the question, what does the ideal outcome look like? And it's so funny because we often enter into everything we do in life without knowing what we want as the ideal outcome. So they're like, oh, interesting. I guess in this ideal outcome, 
then then I express myself really well and this employee hears me and then we agree to severance terms, you know, something like that. And so if you start to do that with small things, even in the morning when you wake up and you're about to go do a yoga class or go on a walk, you say, okay, what would the ideal outcome for this walk look like for me? What would this ideal outcome for this conversation with my mom look like? Whatever it might be, there's always some ideal that we can pinpoint. And then we start to do that with our larger projects too. When people are embarking on something big, like a fundraising round, I always ask my clients, what does the ideal outcome look like? Describe it in detail. Who are your ideal investors? You know, What do they see in you? What do these conversations look like? And so trying to create this image for ourselves in five sensory detail is really, really important. So I help them do that just by asking the question. And then secondarily, I remind them to practice their confidence because I think you said it best that you've seen the most progress with the business. With all my clients, they have to fundraise regularly, like on an 18 to 24 month cycle. And if their confidence isn't strong going in, they do so poorly. I mean, it's extraordinary. Same business, same person, just the vibe that you're entering in with. And so I say to them, you know, you are looking for this fundraise success to confirm your confidence so that you feel like you have something to be proud of. But if you wait till then, it's already too late. You have to walk in the door feeling like it's already happened and that you can already do it. And it makes a meaningful difference. I have them actually create a document that I call the hype document. And they list everything that they're really proud of that they've done, not just in their career, but in their lives, everything they're proud of about the business to remind themselves. And that, and I say, before you go into any pitch meeting, read your hype document, be your own biggest cheerleader, listen to some music that pumps you up because it's so much of it is energetic. Totally. So what about for somebody who like really doesn't know what the, their future is that they're trying to achieve and they have this kind of okay, I know that I want to manifest something greater than I'm not, you know, I don't want to be doing the same day to day that I'm doing right now, but maybe whether it's, I might want another job or I might want to live somewhere else or what are some of those, I guess, kind of like prompts that you help people to really find that stillness and think about what could their future look like that might be different from where they are today? How do you expand your mind to think about those possibilities? I love that question, Elizabeth. I love it so much because people often say that they're like, I know this isn't it for me, but I don't know what is. Like I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, usually say there's three steps to this process. And the first is to broaden your slice of the world. So broaden your horizons. And this doesn't mean you have to go travel all around the world, right? Or like meet all these different people, but explore because, you know, we all are born in like a house in a neighborhood and that's all we know when we're three years old and slowly our life expands. And just like me finding out about executive coaching at age 31, there's always more blossoming that we can be doing. So I say one, push open the boundaries of what you know to be possible. So you can do that through listening to podcasts, I loved listening to how I built this when I was, you know, just like starting off my executive coaching practice. There are books, there are podcasts, there's internet research you can do. Look for people who, you know, could be role models to you, but also industries and scenarios and slices of life that, you know, might appeal to you. So one, broaden your worldview. And then two, broaden your understanding of yourself. So I think in order to know what you want, you also have to know who you are. So 
personality tests. Like take the Myers-Briggs type inventory if you haven't. It's free online. There's a website called 16personalities.com that's great. Take the Enneagram. It's that's free also, I think, through the Enneagram Institute. Get an astrology reading, you know, get your numerology read. And then start to build a vocabulary of what motivates you and what scenarios are going to be good for you versus scenarios that are not the right environment. And that was actually how I arrived at doing the work that I do now is, you know, I thought I really liked my job in venture capital, but as I got to know myself more through these practices, I realized, no, you know what? There are parts of this job that are really unfulfilling for me. Let me actually shape kind of not just the right job, but also the right sort of day-to-day life that feels really good for me. And finally, the third piece to this is just doing tiny steps forward. So I think of it, the analogy is when you go to the ice cream store and you're trying out different flavors, they just give you a tiny spoon and you just take a small, small bite. You wouldn't just eat like an entire cup of every flavor you wanted to try. It would just be too much. It'd be too time consuming, too exhausting. You'd feel unwell. And it's the same thing where I think sometimes people think they might want to do something. And so they invest a lot of time, a lot of money. They jump in right away, both feet first. And then they wind up being exhausted when they realize that thing isn't right for them. And so whenever there's like a little inkling, you might be interested in some area, just choose the tiniest step forward and do that. And if it feels good, take another tiny step forward and do that. And I think that combination of having a really big sense of possibility. So not editing your dreams, but just taking small steps forward to see if you like it is really positive. I've done so many things in my life that haven't worked out. Like, and I took like a small, small, small step forward and could be like, okay, this actually isn't for me. And then there are other times where I've taken a big chunk forward. And then I wish that I had taken a smaller bite. Like I did a whole month long yoga teacher training. And as soon as I started to teach yoga, like within the first class, I was like, I really don't like this. Right. And right, it's like, and I wish I had just like maybe explored it a little bit more, talked to some yoga teachers, maybe practice teaching a class, you know, sort of tried to figure it out. Um, and so I think that part is really important. Otherwise we exhaust ourselves and feel this pressure because we've already sunk time and resources into exploring everything. I think it's called the sunk cost fallacy or bias where we're like, well, I've already put so much into it. I have to now go pursue this path. And so if you keep your costs and your investment really low, then you can actually tune into what you really want, not what you think you should be doing. That's great advice. So as you have now, someone's now opened up their mind, thought about the possibilities, certainly a big obstacle is fear and doubt coming in saying, I can't do this. I'm not worthy. Whatever all those things are that come up for someone and the fear and the doubt which really stops us from moving forward. What are some ways that you work with clients or suggest for people to overcome and work through those emotions? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that I want to say is that whenever a client brings me fears and doubts, I want to acknowledge them because I think if we try to bury them, then they wind up festering even more. Um, And so I think even just bringing them to the light is very important. So I have them tell me, what is worst case scenario? What are your fears? What are you really worried about? 
you know, what, what's your greatest fear that could go wrong here? And then they tell me, and I ask them in detail to describe them. So I truly understand what those might be. And then the second question I ask is where are these coming from? Is it from past experiences? Is it from childhood? Is it from voices of other people who are casting that doubt? And oftentimes the realization is that fear and doubt doesn't belong to us. It's someone else's voice. It's like connected to, you know, your parents fighting a lot when you're growing up or your dad saying that you couldn't do something. And so identifying, okay, this doesn't belong to me. And then finally, the third way is to reframe it. You know, we are always two ways to look at a situation. One is with scarcity and one is with abundance. And so to rewrite it. So for instance, like I'm afraid that I'll never raise this round of funding and my company will completely deteriorate and die. And then you can say also like, I'm excited because of the unknown and I know I'm capable, you know? So I think that like listening to those two sides and knowing that we always have two voices, one is of scarcity and one is is of abundance. And, you know, it's like that old saying that everyone talks about where, you know, within us, we all, there's a battle between two wolves, right? Like one wolf is fear, doubt, scarcity, um, you know, jealousy, anger, et cetera. The other wolf is positivity, optimism, abundance, success, and joy. And then which one wins? It's the one that you feed. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing for us. We have to be really intentional about what we feed ourselves. And so I say that when people are in that fear and doubt mindset, really careful about what you're putting on your plate. So really curate the conversations with people you're having to not talk to your most negative friends about stuff like this. Yeah. You know, if your mom's a worrier, do not bring it up to her. If you are like, and then on the flip side, put, fill your plate with positivity. So whenever I'm going through a fear doubt phase, I turn to my trusted self-help books and I just reread them because it's a voice is like, you can do it. Go, go, go. You're right. I listen to really positive podcasts. I listen to really positive music. I have a playlist that's all about just like, it's just songs of um, people being like, you can do it, right? It's like different songs like Ariana Grande and, you know, Ty Dollar Sign, but there are all these songs that are like, yeah, I did it, I accomplished it. And so I really try to tell my clients, like really watch what you're allowing into your life because you have to feed the good wolf. I love that. I think that is so true. That so resonates like back to what I was saying about being in that confidence state. When I started Purely Elizabeth, I was going to the Institute for, or I had, graduated from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, their um, holistic nutrition program. And in that program, it was so much, it was call it every other weekend. And the whole thing was like, you can do anything in your life that you want to do. And you had all of these, you know, successful graduates talking about positive things that they had done in their life and really just amping up that you can do it, feel the fear and do it anyway. And that positivity just becomes contagious in in your life. So that completely resonates. What are some other things, maybe some other wellness habits that you um, enjoy for yourself or that you suggest people to do in order to feel their best? The first thing I want to say is that energy is everything. So paying attention to your energy level in the same way you pay attention to whether or not you're hungry or tired or angry is very important. So Um, I try to structure my whole day around feeling like an energetic 10 and some mornings I wake up and I'm already a 10, like this morning. So last night I slept super well. 
And then I didn't have any like early morning meetings. I took my dog on a walk that was really beautiful outside. And then I was like, I have tons of energy. I'm going to sit down and instead of working out, because I have lots of energy, I'm going to just like start writing right away. So I'm working on my next book. So I started writing. Other days I wake up and I'm on the wrong side of the bed. Things are not happening well. I'm already have a million emails in my email box that are annoying. <laughs> and I'm at an energetic three. And before I do anything, before I answer those emails, I'm like, how do I get myself up to a 10? And that sometimes means like making myself a really good meal and watching Netflix. It's like, and like, like literally at nine o'clock in the morning, like I'm like watching TV or like watching a comedy special or like joking around with a friend on text message or, you know, whatever it is, like watching TikToks because I'm like, I know I have to feel better in order to start my day. And so nothing, nothing important happens in my life unless I'm feeling like a 10. And for me, that's like making a specific type of smoothie that I like doing a certain breath work practice. You know, maybe it's like sitting down and like reading the New Yorker, or it's like listening to a certain album I like, and just laying down on the ground with my dog. And so I think we all should connect with those things that just make us happy and make us feel vibrant. Um, because like, I know the quality of anything I do, whether it's, you know, coaching someone or writing, if I'm not feeling like a 10, it's not good. It's horrible. Like I have to go back and rewrite it anyway, or like, I'm not going to be helpful to that person. And so, so much of my job that I think of as like a wellness hack is just like prioritizing and keeping my energy at the highest state possible. I love that. I keep in my notes on my phone, a list of like things that make me feel the best. So all those things that you're saying, which I don't truthfully ever remember that it's there, but I need to remind myself that it's there. I think it's a good tip so that you can look at that list and be like, oh, I could do all these things. This might take five minutes. This might be 20 minutes. This might be an hour, but here's a reminder of the things that make me feel personally great. Yeah. I love that because we all have a list of things we need to do every day. And it's nice. I love that you're keeping a list of like things that make you feel really good also. Yeah, totally. brings the same urgency around it. I just need to remember to look at it. (laughs) All right. We're going to move into some rapid fire Q&A. Three things that you are currently loving. So the first thing I'm loving is the Chani Nicholas astrology app for anyone who hasn't downloaded it. It's very cool for people who aren't you know, experience in astrology, it just breaks down very clearly what's happening for you that day and that week. And I just think it's nice to have a little bit of a frame, you know, like I might open the app and might say, Hey, today, like make sure to like, you know, be a little more cautious about your finances and whether or not it's true, it's nice to just have something to bounce off of. And I think it's pretty accurate. You know, she gives you like a little 15 minute weekly reading that you can listen to and then journal prompts for the week. And so I always do the journal prompts on Sunday night and it helps keep me aligned. The second thing that I am into is I've been rereading Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, as I've been writing. This is probably the third time I've read it, but um, it really helps me like reconnect to that creative zone when I'm working on a project. Um, And then finally, thirdly, there is a beauty brand called Dew, which is D-I-E-U-X. And I just love the energy behind it. It's a small business. It's like, I don't think they've gotten funding. Um, it's run by women and they are so passionate about the skincare products they make. And I think they only have like five or six, but like you can feel the energy behind it where the people are like obsessed with making the best products. And I'm not a big 
beauty junkie, but I do feel like when I use their stuff, I'm like, I really feel that these people love what they do and therefore it works for me. Oh, I love that. I'll take it out. What do you want more of in your life? I want to have more fun too. (laughs) I think I'm a pretty serious person. Like I'm very work focused and I derive a lot of my joy from coaching and for my work. And as soon as you said, you have a list of things that make you feel good. I was like, you know what? I want to put a little more effort towards that. Best business advice you've received. My boss, when I worked in venture capital, he said, you don't get what you don't ask for. And it sounds really simple, but it was very cool to hear because, um, because I'm a very people oriented person. I think I've always like valued kind of making accommodations or compromising so that the people around me can be happy because that really matters to me. Whenever I step into a room, I'm automatically thinking about how I can make everyone feel comfortable and how I can create harmony. And when he said that, it was just this permission to actually advocate for myself. And I found that it it's really works. Like whenever I'm kind of on the fence where I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, if I should ask for this or if I should charge this amount or, you know, and then I'm like, you know what? It will not come to me unless I ask for it. So I try to really specifically ask for things as much as I can. And even if it's a non-monetary, non-business thing, how are my friends and loved ones supposed to know what I need unless I tell them? And I used to spend my whole life waiting for people to guess because I was so good at guessing what they needed. And I wasted all this time and frustration being mad at the people who loved me most because I was like, why can't you read my mind? And I'm like, you know what? I just have to ask for it. That's such a good word of wisdom. Favorite words to live by? My favorite words to live by are what I've been really enjoying right now is build your castle brick by brick. And I think why this is important to me is because, you know, everything is just like one step at a time and nothing was built overnight. Like the best things that we have in our life take time. And I think we live in a world where social media and the news cycle tries to tell us that we need everything overnight. And I actually think it's like really beautiful and really joyous to take a long path forward and have ups and downs and, you know, build, if not slowly, then like really intentionally and giving yourself that patience and that grace to know that all the best things that arrive in our lives happen through, you know, perspiration, hard work, and, and, you know, just taking one step at a time. Love that. A favorite book or podcast for growth. I have been really into my physical health recently. So I've been listening to On Health with Aviva Ram, and she is a doctor and a midwife and a writer, but she's also like an expert on hormonal health. And she is just such an advocate for women and women understanding our bodies related to this. Like there's this company called Evie that does like testing for your vaginal microbiome and they're amazing. And what I learned from them is that women didn't even have to be included in clinical trials until the 1990s. And so there's just like extreme, like lack of information about our bodies. And I realized that recently where I was like, I don't even know how like some of these functions that I do every month, like getting my period, right? Like how that works. And so I found her podcast to be this really accessible way of knowledge that also like elevates and puts the female body on a pedestal. Like, wow, look what we do. We're amazing. Oh, I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. There's, it's incredible. The lack of information that we have or or knowledge. 
and lastly, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Okay. So this has taken me like years and years to recognize this, but I always say that I need three things all the time and it is nature, movement, and rest. And those three things, like if I get those, I am so good, <laughs> but when I don't, I feel so horrible. <laughs> it's like, cause I live part-time in New York city and sometimes I'll go like 10 days without seeing like a real tree. And I just feel like, ah, and I have to really center my life around that. Like knowing that you live in Colorado, I'm so jealous. I'm like, Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, nature movement and rest. And the thing is, it sounds so simple because we are always meant to like move around, like sleep well, and then also be in tune with you know, our natural surroundings, but just daily life has made that really hard. So I consciously always have to be like nature, movement, rest, nature, movement, rest. Love it. In closing, where can everybody find you, your new book, your podcast, and then what's next? The book is called The Karma of Success, and you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, some independent booksellers, wherever you find books. You can find me on Instagram at ResetNYC, and there are just some posts that are meant to like help people reach their greatest potential. And then on the Instagram is a link to like everything, my website, things like that. And then what's coming up next? I have just started the process of writing a new book that is all about how to deal with change, uncertainty, and the unknown. Probably because I just went through like a period of a lot of change, uncertainty, unknown. I think all of us have through COVID. So I was very interested in that topic. Yeah, that's it. Amazing. Liz, thank you so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure to meet you. And thanks again. Thank you for having me. And thank you for asking all these wonderful questions. You're great. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.